Awesome, everyone. Great to have you here. Happy Tuesday. Um, always love seeing all the familiar faces, almost 50 strong on Tuesday night. I don't know what episode this is, but we're coming on close to Demand Gen Live episode 100, as far as I can understand it. Maybe we're a couple episodes away. I need to go back and check my counting. Maybe I'm off, but I feel like it's coming up soon, so we'll do some type of celebration. Maybe the elusive swag that we've been talking about will <laughs> come out. Who knows? Don't want to make any promises. We'll see how it goes. Um, okay, cu- a <laughs> couple, couple <laughs> announcements coming in real quick on Thursday. We have our monthly um, expert series uh, featuring Dave Gerhard that's happening this Thursday, October 7th at 12 p.m. Eastern. We're going to be covering 2022 marketing strategy and planning. So anyone, um, you know, it's October 2022 planning is in full swing. If you're into it, like there's some companies that finish 2020, the next year's planning in like the middle of february you don't want to be that company let's try and figure figure out the planning in advance of the in advance so that would be starting relatively soon so we're going to go through that hope you can join if you can that's again a european friendly time we usually get a really good turnout there and we do a lot of q a so if you're looking for ideas on your strategy from dave or i happy to help there and now let's get into the agenda Um, the first topic that i want to talk about here is the blended funnel and it's why it's hard to see that it's time to change your strategy. And funny enough, right before we got on here, I was doing an analysis inside of Salesforce, looking at some data. um, And we're going to talk through with some real examples as to what happens. So what companies will do, and the root of this, uh, this problem is that they take all of their MQLs or whatever they're measuring, right? They could be doing SQLs, they could be doing MQAs, whatever. They take all of them, they blend them all together. And then they say, okay, out of all the MQLs, we win 1% of them. So if we want to get double the revenue, we should just, we just need to double the amount of MQLs we get. And what they don't understand is that not all MQLs are created equal. I'm going to go through that and illustrate that with Salesforce data right now. So let's look at buy lead source or conversion, and let's talk through what the lead to win rates are for each of these, uh, each of these lead sources. So we got content syndication from this place, 0.2%, one out of every 500 leads. Demo request, 7.9%, one out of every 12 leads. Events, 2%, one out of 50. Display, 0%, not a number. Paid social lead gen, one out of every 500. We typically see worse than that. Paid search lead gen, 0.1%, one out of every 1,000. That's pretty bad. Webinar, 5.2%. And so you can see there is a very large range between a 0.1% paid search lead in this company and an 8% demo request, 80 X better conversion rate from MQL to customer. But when companies go back to HQ and they put their plan together and they say, okay, out of the 11,000 leads that we got last year, we won 200 deals. So next year, what we're going to do is we're just going to get 22,000 MQLs and we're going to win 400 deals. And then they go out and they collect all their MQLs from the lowest performing channels that I listed, content syndication, paid social lead gen, paid search lead gen, what else is on here? Display. And they use those channels to pump up MQLs with terrible conversion rates because they don't respect the difference between a high intent lead that says, I want to buy from you now versus a content syndication lead you paid $50 for an email address for. And so when you put all of that stuff together, 
it becomes very, it's not very clear how to drive your strategy. And it's not very clear how to plan your old school demand waterfall in order to hit your revenue targets. Almost every company makes this mistake. Last night I was going through another one with a different company where they're trying to project out. They have a short velocity sale. They're trying to project out what they're going to do in October. They take all of the historical numbers from September. And then all they do is they just double the conversion rate from lead to win. So instead of winning 8% of leads in September, they're going to do the same thing, but they're going to win 16% of leads next month. Double the revenue makes totally makes absolutely no sense. These are the flaws that happen when you make these like spreadsheet models. I very rarely see a spreadsheet model where the company actually hits their target because there's best case conversion rates. They don't respect the difference between a bunch. Uh, the difference is in uh, MQL sources. Um, they don't understand time lag, 90 day sales cycle. They think they create opportunities in December and they close that fiscal year. Not going to happen. And so there's, yeah, they don't account for how long it takes programs to actually start delivering and how long it takes to tune those programs. So there's just a lot of errors in planning, which cause marketers to overcommit and under deliver. Um, and the root of it, I mean, I mentioned a couple of the roots, but at the, at the core if you looked at it based on what I just said, the blended funnel funnel, and you said, okay, so out of all of these different sources, content syndication, we got 4,000 leads last year. We won six customers. Our SCR spent a ton of time calling them. We had a bunch of opportunities that we didn't win. We spent a bunch of money to get the actual email addresses. Maybe we should just cut this and go and do something else with that paid search. We spent a million dollars last month or last year. We won 0.1% of the leads. It was very incredibly expensive. Customer acquisition cost was very high. Maybe it makes sense to either tune down the spend where we can actually make this work or we should just cut it, cut it out. And so when you look at some of those things, if you separate them out, it becomes more clear that it's time to change your strategy. But because companies never separate it out, they never see these realities. Um, I show this, like I show this data that I just call, called out to you to CMOs that, that work at companies that are a thousand employees. And don't see, don't see this, these insights. So can't guide strategy changes. So this is real stuff. Um, it doesn't feel that new to me, but I recognize that to a lot of people, um, it is. And the reason is because the conversion point or otherwise known as the source is a predictor and a surrogate for the intent that someone has to buy. And so when you put enough volume through that system, it becomes clear based on the win rates. Do these people have high intent or low intent? And then you could siphon them off and say, all the ones that have less than a 1% win rate go in the low intent bucket. All the ones that have a much higher one go in the high intent bucket. And then you just, you'd realize, okay, all of our revenue is coming from the high intent bucket. Maybe we should just stop doing all the stuff in the low intent and just focus over there. Um, and so that is a summary of the blended funnel. And if you actually ran, we talk about the split the funnel analysis, and we're actually going to be launching um, some some uh, data and reports and frameworks that you can use to actually split the funnel yourself and see this data for yourself. And so that will be forthcoming sometime in Q4. Katie has a really good follow-up question on this topic, so I'm going to bring her on. Perfect. I, I don't have food on my face right now. Um, <laughs> I'm <hurting laughs> <to eat> dinner. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. So my question was like, if you're just, if you're just looking at Salesforce and like, just like looking at the data and nothing else, how do you know whether somewhat, whether um, a channel isn't working for you because it doesn't work for your company versus um, it's not working for you because um, like the person who's like owning that channel isn't like able to execute or strategize well? Totally. So I typically, when I do this, the Salesforce, I've, I've done enough of these to kind of like be able to look at the Salesforce data, lead volume, win rate, sales cycle length and triangulate like I can, there's enough patterns and people, there's not an, enough variability in how people run these channels, especially when it's lead gen, it's just like push a button, try and collect email addresses. And so the way that I would look at it, if it's purely in Salesforce is I would audit the emails that work the data of the leads that we're collecting. Are they, do they have uh, business emails? Is the work in the job title clean? Um, do they have a company? And if you see, and they, do they fit the ICP, you see those things and you see low win rates and it's clear that it's in, intent lead gen, no. And if you see garbage, which you see a lot, people will run Google ads and literally collect spam and report on MQLs for $5 each. Um, and in that case, you know that somebody's not running the channel, right? So typically by auditing the leads, you can see, you can get a directional look at whether the person it's like a just terrible execution or whether it's the right people. But when it's, when it comes down to it, when it's lead gen, you can just look at the lead to win rates and pretty much be able to triangulate that. Yeah, I think, I think it's, it's useful just because I know that like you would be able to identify it because you look at this stuff like all day, every day. And so you're able to kind of pick out where the, where the issues are, but I'm mm -hmm. thinking about like, particularly if like it's a startup or, you know, um, a smaller organization where um, they might have, um, uh, like it might be like a CEO, like looking at this, like trying to figure out who's not mm -hmm. a marketing expert or not a sales expert, mm -hmm. who's trying to figure out like, why, why is something not working? Mm -hmm. So I think pinpointing like what they should be looking at to, to figure that out is useful. Yeah. So auditing the leads, the um, actual quality of the leads is one. And then another thing that I've found is that it's usually not because of how the person is running the channel. It most, it most often is because what you're doing doesn't align to how the buyer wants to buy. And so you're collect, like basically going out, running a gated content thing on LinkedIn collecting an email address, expecting that person to push through marketing automation within a certain period of time and then pop out. And what actually happens in the way that I actually see this happening is that you go out and collect the LinkedIn lead and you do that with a million dollar budget. So you get a bunch of first touch attribution on contacts. And then it's just normal variation that one or two of those close in some period of time due to other marketing, word of mouth, organic market demand, et cetera. And then you go back and you're like, yeah, we spent a million dollars. We got four customers. Like, it's not that bad, right? 400K ARR. And so they find, like, you find ways to justify it purely based on first touch attribution, which is a model that a lot of companies are scored on. And so when you have a marketing team that gets scored on first touch attribution, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to go out and collect as many leads as possible that fit the ICP. So they have first touch. And then after that, it doesn't really matter. Sales might close them. Who cares? We have first touch attribution. We can take credit on it. So I think that um, personally, I think the first touch model drives a lot of the wrong behaviors or it could risk driving a lot of the wrong behaviors. Right. Yeah, that makes sense.
I hate gated content as as we all know. Yes. <laughs> That's I think we're all on the same page here on, on the DGL community, right? <laughs> That was an awesome follow-up question, Katie. Thank you. Um, Rob has another. We're just going to roll in us into power, Yeah, let's do it. So, Rob, I'm bringing you on live. You can ask your question. You're on Demand Gen Live. Okay. My, I, no, I'm, I'm here. You're here. Yeah. You're here. <laughs> I, I had the Chris issue. I was on mute and not video. No, I, I think you answered it. My question, the second part of your answer is my question was how much of that behavior is being driven by over-reliance on attribution models mm -hmm. that are just all of and don't take into account dark social and things that we always talk about. So. Everything that B2B marketers do is driven on measurement. Yeah. And so that's it's weird. Like as I bubbled it up, and I've said this on a couple of talks recently that haven't been published on the podcast, but coming soon is that the only thing that the only main pillar that we do differently here at refine labs is we think about marketing measurement differently which then allows you to do way better marketing and so all, all like i mentioned a lot all other marketers get handcuffed by attribution if you want to use linkedin ads that's the only thing that you can do because the cfo is going to come back in 60 days and say you spent 100 grand what do i have out of it and they the only way that they're going to look at it is not at revenue not you're not going to be able to get that in 60 days on an enterprise sales cycle and so they're going to be looking at how many leads that i get and i'm encouraging people to look at it over a longer time window and say how much how many customers did i get um and it's so strange i do this analysis for companies and i'm just i think baffled is the right word for this that companies don't do this analysis every three to six months audit their lead sources, their channels, the conversion rates, the sales cycles, how much SDR time is being spent on these things, whether or not their SDR is needed for certain lead sources because the conversion rate to SQO is so high. Um, and they don't, they just build this machine and they just go on autopilot. Let's just go. Um, but to get back to your question, Everything in, everything in B2B marketing is driven by measurement until companies think about marketing measurement differently, until CMOs push the envelope in what their, how their marketing team gets scored and what gets measured and how they think about attribution. We're going to have the same stale, homogenous marketing mix in B2B marketing that sits lower funnel, that's all lead gen, that's gated content, that puts measurement before what customers need, that focuses on vanity metrics instead of helping customers buy, those types of things. Um, and I just see broadly how broken it is and i see how simple the solution is and i'm pounding it hard here because it's really really simple and i know some companies have adopted it without even being our customer and the stories that i see them talk about how they every month or every quarter they continue to exceed and have their best month or quarter ever and i've seen that for three four quarters in a row that stuff makes me happy and i just am trying to help more and more companies see that because it's a game changer. Make sure get your marketers doing way cooler stuff. Makes your team way happier. Makes your customers way happier. Gets better sales and marketing alignment. I am pushing this one hard, but right on, Rob. It's all measurement. Thanks. You got anything else you want to talk through? No. Pre I just, as a marketer, I appreciate you pushing that agenda. Pre so, appreciate thanks. you uh, you helping me voice that one. 
The Q&A is hot. I'm going to keep it going. Natalie, I'm going to have you come on next. And then David, I got you after. But love your question, Natalie. You're on down, live. Down, actually. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, great. So I wanted to ask you, Chris, like you're All talking high level here, but I would love to hear it practically. Like, how are you going into your client CRM and, and seeing, okay, these are the numbers I want to get. These are the kind of equations I want to run. Like, I want to know how to do that myself, mm -hmm. but what does that look like? So short answer is that your buddy Matthew's already in our alpha group and he's got all the answers. So you can, you can go talk to him. He told me he has to wait. He's, he wants to digest it more. Like all, I asked. That's cool. But yeah, so all that, all, all that document, all that documentation is going to be re released to the, the people soon, but he's looking at it and giving feedback so you can feel free, but let's talk through it. Um, I'm not going to go through like every single report that I look at, but the first thing that I'm looking at in Salesforce, I'm trying to understand their data structure. I'm trying to understand how they separate between marketing and sales. When they think about lead sources, a lot of companies will use lead source and then do top level lead source or departmental source. And then I'm trying to see how do they segment their marketing attribution. Typically they're going to have primary campaign source, which is like demo request, newsletter, sign up, ebook, trade, this type of trade show, whatever. They're also going to have UTM data, which could be in referral source or UTM channel structured like that. So it's like, where do they convert on? What channel do they come from? It was digital. So I'm trying to figure those things out. Um, and then I'm going to look at how they manage their pipeline. So I'm going to look at what their deal stages are. I'm going to try and figure out either by asking them or by calculating win rates, what their qualified op stage should be. I typically set it at, it's the stage after you start winning them at more than 20%. And so I'm going to find what that stage is, and then I'm going to track from each source, how many leads did they get? How many opportunities were created? How many of those opportunities became qualified ops? How many of them did they win? I'm gonna calculate lead to win, sales cycle rank, win rate, customer acquisition cost based on direct lead gen spend, et cetera. I'm gonna look at that through every lead source. I'll then use all those inputs to calculate pipeline velocity. I'll sort all the lead sources by uh, descending pipeline velocity and it will show exactly where we should invest our time. Um, and so that's like the super cut and dry, like low way to do it. If I was going to get more detailed, then I would start looking at the ad channels. So I would go into each ad channel, reverse engineer the strategy. How are they targeting? What are the objectives? What are they trying to do? What does the creative look like? And back in typically it's wide targeting, bad creative lead gen. <laughs> like that's typically what it is, but you get the sense of what I'm looking at. I do the same thing on Google It'd be like sorting. What are they optimizing for? What are they trying to do? Once you see the Salesforce data, you can almost predict what's going to happen in the platform based on the data in Salesforce. Um, it's weird and take a tangent. I'll get back to you on this, but we've had, um, we've had several companies that are like evaluating other media agencies and they come into us and they're like, Hey, could you take a look at our LinkedIn ads? And I'm like, no. Um, and the reason being, the reason being is that what the, what the usual situation is that companies don't understand is that the LinkedIn ad platform looks great. Everything looks great. $50 leads, so many leads, lighten up vanity metrics. What actually matters is what's in Salesforce. And so I'm like, I'm, I don't, I don't particularly care what's happening in LinkedIn ads. It's, it doesn't tell us anything. Let's go into Salesforce and see. And then I can pretty much tell you what you're doing in LinkedIn just by looking at the Salesforce data. Um, so that's a tip for people. Anyone evaluating the media agency, they're looking at like what's your Google ad stuff. It means that they're going to optimize for vanity in platform metrics. Um, and 
doesn't usually work out when you do that. So moving back into our talk. So we have basically lead to win across all those. And then I'm gonna start breaking it out between marketing and sales. What is the percentage contribution? Maybe they have a partner network. So like top level marketing is contributing what? Let's just say for this example, marketing is contributing 12% of revenue, sales is 50, partners 38, or what if I did the math right? And then I can look at the revenue value, the stage of the company, the investment in marketing and say like, your marketing source contribution is below average, or it's it should be different. Like, and I we don't have like massive benchmarks on that, but I've looked at 50 Salesforce instances and a lot of people tell me, and I kind of know where it should be because we have high performing accounts of where they should be. Um, and so those are some of the things that I'm, looking at, but it basically comes back to in marketing lead source, and then all the sales efficiency metrics to get to pipeline velocity. And then I'm looking at like lead to win is a big one for me. Cause it's just pure efficiency, especially if it's a mainly a lead gen model with an SDR handoff, because lead to win basically will tell you how much sales teams time is being wasted. And as you scale, how many unnecessary SDR headcount you're going to need to follow up with leads that almost never buy. Get all that down, written down. <laughs> I'm gonna have to rewatch the recording and like break it down for myself for sure. I was like, I'm not gonna try yeah. to write all this right now. I'm gonna just absorb, get all this. Yeah. The the, the thing is that um, most companies don't have their Salesforce data structure right to actually do this. Um, and so there's like particular companies. Typically, I've seen companies that are post Series D that can't track anything in Salesforce. It's like, how did you raise that much money? And how'd you get that far without knowing where your revenue is coming from? I have no idea. Um, but typically around series C companies figure it out. Um, but in other industries like medical device, some companies, their sales team doesn't even use Salesforce. They don't even use a CRM. They have 200 reps and no CRM compliance. And it's like, how, how do you forecast? How do you do these things? Um, and so I would imagine in, industries outside of tech SaaS, it could get really messy. Yeah, that's definitely what we see sometimes. Yeah. Helping people guide them through what that CRM should maybe look like. So I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Chris. Yeah, great question. Happy to help. Thanks, Natalie. I'll squeeze this quick one in and just ask for you, Bob, and then I'll bring on um, David. Bob is saying, what is a high performing marketing sourced revenue percentage? It depends on your go to market motion, your ACV and your investment allocation between marketing sales, et cetera. Um, but I would say in a normal growth stage company with a product that's 30 to 150 K ACV marketing should be contributing 40 to 60% of, of revenue being marketing sourced, not marketing influenced marketing sourced. <laughs> David's got another question on this topic and then we will, maybe we'll go to some other questions on some different topics after this. But David, wrap us up on this one. Sure, quick. So first thing, when I joined TA in 2006, they didn't have any Salesforce system. They just sent spreadsheets around. There was a method to that madness. There was a reason for it. Moving on, my question. You cited some really high numbers for webinar leads or webcast leads. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I, all right. And I'm just curious, is that something you're seeing across the board with a number of your clients or was this particularly just isolated to this one particular um, situation? It's very astute of you to catch that. This one was very surprising to me as well. I typically don't see that high of numbers. So that was a good call out for you. When I saw this, I was like, 
I got to figure out what these people are doing for webinars because I never see that there's anything that high. Because um, I've seen that number before. <laughs> I, in 2016, I joined a company and I and we took a look at the leads that were coming in. And sitting with the VP of sales, we saw number one source of leads were incoming requests. Mm -hmm. No surprise to anyone here. Number two, webinar, webcast leads. Mm -hmm. Those and, and I was driving everything towards that. And, and what occurred to me, I mean, I've got the language now. I didn't have it then, mm -hmm. is we were educating, informing, inspiring mm -hmm. in our webinar process. We were showing, telling. We had a, a new um, technology into a new category. And so a lot of people were very curious to understand how does it work and so forth. And so perhaps your client falls into a new category, new technology kind of bucket. Therefore, mm -hmm. the webinars become a very useful source of knowledge and people come to them. Mm -hmm. um, so this, okay, so you're saying it's not your general experience. This was an isolated case. Yeah, five greater than five percent win rates on uh, webinar leads. Definitely an isolated case in my experience. Um, and I want to talk through because like what we're doing right now is technically a webinar, right? So it's it's like if you if you are a business and you're doing it with the right intent, these can be very high performing channels. The way that companies do them, however, is no value on the content, collect leads, cold call after the event or SDR cadence after the event. Um, and that's why you see some of those things. So if companies could just adjust the strategy to, like you mentioned, educate, inspire, inform, not try and do run lead gen and then do it in a little bit of a different way, they might see better win, they might see better win rates because they're not chasing a bunch of people that don't want to buy. Um, but yes, that was a real, like I went through those pretty fast. That was a really like smart call out there. I'm not surprised. <laughs> not surprised. Just giving you giving you some daps. Um, okay, this is going to be a good one, guys. We have a first time demand gen live attendee with a question. So, Joey, I'm going to bring you on. Thanks, Ethan. Thank you. Hey, Chris. I uh, hope you're well. Um, I'm Joey, and I'm from Sydney, Australia. I'm here with a mate called Simone. Um, what time? Is, what time is it there? Uh, it's 11 a.m. right now. <laughs> nice. Great to have you here. <laughs> yes, thanks. Um, so just want to, yeah, just want to say thanks for doing this. Uh, I've been learning a lot in the past two weeks and it's been great. Um, so I just wanted to ask a question that's not really B2B related, but more B2C. So like I really like the methodologies and, and, and all, um, like with the whole demand generation playbook that you've been preaching for however long. Um, how would you apply this? idea that you have um to e-commerce brands so, so it's gener it's generally the same thing and so if you think about it like i can yeah. i can talk through um there is a um athletic hat that you wear while you while you're running it's like some performance brand it's a 60 dollars hat like so in that hat advertising to me on instagram right i'm a runner they probably have some data somewhere in facebook and instagram to target me there um, I see the hat, cool videos, looks great. I'm not going to DR convert there and buy the hat on mobile. Um, but when I was traveling to go and run a race and I was thinking about like my, my don't want to use that old hat, I go back and I'm that, I don't even look at another brand. I don't look at Nike. I don't look at any of them. It's the one that advertised to me on social was top of mind. I go in there and I buy a $60 hat that had cost of goods sold of like $3 and they make massive margin on that. Um, and so those are, 
the plays in e- it's the same principles. You need to change how you measure. E-commerce is typically measured full direct response, single channel lead gen, just like B2B marketing. Um, they follow attribution. Smart companies are picking up and smart e-commerce companies have been paving the way using how did you hear about us for a lot longer than B2B. And so changing the way that you measure can help you triangulate what's actually happening, that you're not always looking for a direct response conversion. You're looking to educate someone and so that they remember that thing, whether it's through video or content or otherwise, and an organic or paid. And then you are looking for high intent buyers in the places where they convert in e-commerce as, as they continue to make checkout easier, right? You can be looking for DR. You can like optimize for that. Um, but you don't need to in every channel, which allows you to kind of like focus on the right places, right? So if we look at create demand and capture demand strategies at the moment, most e-commerce brands are full capture. Right. Like I was mm-hmm. on some sunglass I web I was on some sunglass website over the weekend. Um, because I'm going on a trip soon. And they so I I do that, I land on the website, and then all I've seen for the past four days is like display ad retargeting on weird channels on YouTube, and I'm like, why? Like it's a complete waste of money to do that in my view. Um, and so just changing the mix to think about how much should be allocated to create demand as you get better at creating demand, you will invest more and more there because you recognize that capturing demand is way more competitive, way more expensive, and it's easier to win at the top. Um, and so it's, that's sort of the focus, but the core principles change how you think about measurement and then change how you think about single channel. What do I need to accomplish every time? That's awesome. Thanks, Chris. Happy to help Joey. Thanks for joining us. I don't talk about e-com very much over here, but yeah. br- brings me, brings me back, brings me back to the days. Yeah. <laughs> good to Pretty see you. you. Stories about your businesses. So thought it would be a good one, but hope to see you back next week, Joey. Um, all right. Dave has a good topic. Dave, I'm bringing you on so you can ask your question live and talk through this with Chris. Come on. There we go. Can you hear me? Yeah. Can you hear me? Okay, on. good. What's hey, happening, everyone. Dave? Hey, Chris. Great to see you. Good to see you too. Hey, Chris, I've been listening to some of your um, recent podcasts. And uh, today when I was out for a walk, I was thinking uh, about your distinction that you draw between sales and marketing. And um, it's interesting because I, I never thought of it in those terms. Uh, just to recap, let, well, let me see if I've got it correctly. You're saying that Salespeople are typically looking for uh, for an immediate conversion. Not salespeople. Uh, I just want to clarify. So it's it's sales. just sales, right? So it could be a marketer, it could be a CEO. But please continue. Sorry to interrupt. Okay. Well, maybe. Yeah. Uh, all right. So maybe that's a nuance that I needed to pay more attention to. Mm-hmm. But sales. Let's say the sales process is always looking for an immediate conversion that's going to advance the sale toward revenue. So the focus is short term. Um, and it tends to be focused on accounts, at least in B2B. Um, and whereas marketing uh, is a little bit longer term, the goal is typically to educate people so that they will uh, be interested in buying when when the time comes for them to buy. Is that a fair summary of, of your definition? Pretty, pretty fair summary. And then just to kind of go a little bit deeper on this, it doesn't matter what your job title is. It doesn't matter what department you're in. Like, as a sales per- as a salesperson, you can be doing a hundred percent marketing, right? It just follow the definitions. Or as a marketer, you, most marketers probably do eighty percent sales, twenty percent marketing, or it could be even more extreme than that. So it's more so a 
barometer to use in your brain if you're a marketer or a salesperson to say, how, how, does, how does my time and my budget get split between these two things? Um, and so if you're a direct response marketer that we just talked about with Joey, direct response marketer that's always looking for leads and running performance marketing, then you're pretty much doing sales. Okay. Um, what, I, what I'm looking for is your reaction to, uh, to some of my, my own observations about yeah, this. Yeah, we'd love that. Um, I would say, you know, a huge difference is that it's sales that's ultimately on the hook for revenue. Rarely is marketing on the hook for revenue. I mean, mm -hmm. they're on the hook for leads, but they don't really have to bring in the deal, uh, at least not in high value. Um, not how it's worked in the past. Nope. Um, so sellers are typically trying to um, limit their activity to high intent deals. They really don't want to deal with anything that's not high intent. It makes and, sense. And one thing that um, that you left out that I think is pretty important, uh, the sales focus is typically one-to-one, -one, I believe, and the marketing focus is typically one-to-many. Um, and I guess mm -hmm. on that one, I'm particularly curious to hear your point. I think as soon as a seller or sales starts trying to communicate broadly across accounts or with many individuals at the same time, they're doing marketing. Um, mm. whereas, whereas the seller is always focused on one account or one individual within an account. And for me, somehow that's an important distinction. There's so and, many, yeah, go ahead, finish, please. I, well, uh, yeah, if I could just finish. And the yeah. reason that's important is um, when salespeople try to do email blasts um, and they try to do marketing, one of the reasons why cold email is so unsuccessful is it comes across as marketing. It's not a true one-to-one -one connection. Whereas if sellers realize that their job in trying to do email or cold outreach is to establish a one-to-one -one connection, they'd be more, much more effective in cold outreach. So mm -hmm. I'll shut up and I'm interested to hear. Yeah, there's some good reactions here. So there's, there's a couple of nuances that I see. So when a salesperson goes and does an email blast hoping to convert people, I still consider that sales, even though it's one to many, right? Cause it's the intent of what you're and what you're trying to do, which is I'm going to blast out and I'm going to ask a thousand people instead of one, if I can get a meeting, right? That's what people are doing when they use sales engagement platforms and things like that. I still consider it sales, even though people look at it in bulk marketing emails. I don't see it that way. The same, at the same time, if a salesperson like someone, um, who am I going to mention here? Like, uh, like a Colin Cadmus or a Justin Welsh back in the day, those types of people that they were a salesperson, but they were out there educating people on LinkedIn and I, and it was one to many and I would consider that marketing. Right. And so there's, right. um, so I think that it's the one to one, one to many is an interesting nuance. I haven't thought completely through it, so I'm not going to have a position, but, um, I think that there's ways to do one-to-one -one marketing and sales. And I think there are ways to do one-to-many sales, but one-to-many sales is typically bad. Right. <laughs> so it's, in my opinion, it's not good selling and it's not good marketing, but mm -hmm. anyway, yeah, particularly when sellers try to do it. I'm on, I'm on so, board with you, some of your thoughts. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Thanks. 
Just just curious as I try to work this through. Yeah, Thanks. I'm going to keep it. thinking about the one-to-many, one-to-one thing, too. Thanks for sparking All right. that. Uh, we got a couple of really good questions submitted in advance, um, and I made some promises that I intend to keep. So I'm going to run through a couple of those. Um, anyone here live, drop any in the chat, and we can get to you as well. But um, let me throw in a few of these, and then we can meander back to the agenda. Um, this is a good one. So this is from Adam Kitchen. He says, Chris, you've mentioned a few times how amplifying your content creation with paid media can be a really powerful strategy. Can you talk through the execution of this? Yes. So um, I'll give you a couple of different examples because in 2018, 17, this was a secret weapon on Facebook ads. Um, Facebook and Instagram, just to clarify. And so what we would do is we would package up things like at the core principle, just to back people up on the strategy, at the core principle that our customers believed certain things and the people that didn't use our product didn't believe those things. And my goal as a marketer was to get the people that didn't believe those things to over time believe them using data and storytelling, et cetera. And once people knew those couple of things, that they would be more likely to consider using the product or asking someone else about their experience with it. And so that was my objective as a marketer. And I, I would encourage marketers to get to that level of granularity, which requires a huge amount of customer intimacy. And so if you try to get to that level of granularity, it may illuminate for you that you don't understand your customers well enough to really do this. So first is customer understanding. If you're looking for a, and I know in the, in the note that he said that the content is actually working. And so what we were doing in Facebook at that point is we were taking out content, case studies, clinical trials, videos with physicians, et cetera, that we knew people liked. And then instead of posting them organically to a 10,000 person audience, which was a good size audience for us, it was only 5,000 total accounts, 10,000 people in the audience. It was good. But instead of doing that, Let's take the video and let's use paid to guarantee distribution to the to all 200,000 physicians and clinicians that we want to see it. And so for that thing at the time, Facebook ads were probably $3 CPM. So we're talking here, like not a lot of money. Let's see if I can do the math in my head, $60. Something like that. Maybe if you want to hit them, everyone twice, $120 to get everyone in our entire TAM to see this video or to see this case study or to see something else. And that's why I think it's a really good buy. Obviously, Facebook ads are a little bit more expensive. They're probably about three to four times, maybe five times more expensive than at this, at this when I was doing it. But this is another thing about like creating content and optimizing for distribution. A lot of companies love to create content and then never think about whether or not anyone sees it. So they write their blogs, they post on their website, they wait for people to hope and find it. They optimize for keywords. They never know who's searching and looking for them. They just look at traffic numbers and they don't know whether or not it's making an impact. Instead of that, I'm going to reverse it. I'm going to build the content that I know my buyer wants, and then I'm going to target them and give it to them in places where they pay attention. And so that's one way we could do it with Facebook. You could still run that play in Facebook today. And I, we do it for many companies, case studies, videos, product tours, et cetera. You, there's a lot of different plays that you can run on content. You could do the same thing on LinkedIn, on LinkedIn, on, let me get back up on Facebook. I thought that the, the core strategy at that point was to run media to test variations and then post organically afterwards on LinkedIn. I'm feeling that the actual strategy is to post organically get validation from the audience that it works, 
and then take the exact same post or redo it a little bit to make it even, you've already gotten validation that it's good, then try and redo it to make it even better and then take that and boost it to everyone else that's in your market. And that would be a great buy, even at LinkedIn ads being like $40 CPM, $60 CPM, that would still be a good buy in my view to get it to your customers. Um, and so that's the mechanics of doing it. Um, when you do this this way, one, like I talk about every time, you're gonna have to think about measurement differently. We're looking for people to watch this two minute video, not become your lead so you can report that you have an email address to go back to the CFO. And so you have to think about measurement differently. You have to look at if you're doing video, video consumption metrics, make sure that you have the, the right targeting, make sure you set up 30 day attribution window with custom conversion. So if people do convert, you can show that. Use the how did you hear about us so people can tell, tell you and help you demonstrate that people are consuming the content on LinkedIn and that's where they're finding you and then they're asking for demos and becoming customers. So all of those things become available. This is part of the, like if you do the two things that I just said, if you put how did you hear about us, you think about marketing measurement differently, optimizing for revenue, not leads, and you think about generally attribution differently, then all this stuff becomes available to you. You can post organically on LinkedIn. You can build an audience. You can take the time to do that. You can sh show that instead of collecting a thousand leads and winning one customer, that if you just spent a couple of months on LinkedIn producing content, you could collect 10 leads and win four customers. So you just have way less, way lower volume on leads, way higher win rates, and you get more customers, lower CAC, more scalability. And so that's the um, general path. Megan, maybe since Adam's not on here, maybe you have a follow-up so we can give Adam exactly what he needs in terms of yeah, guidance. No. Um, I mean, I think you, you directly answered his question and I was going to follow up with a different question from Dan, but it's along the same lines that digs in more specifically on, um, how to execute on paid social. So I'm going to jump to this cause it'll allow us to stay on this topic and for you to, to continue to clarify. So this is from Dan Payne. He says, Chris, um, I've heard you speak a lot in the past about the importance of running product marketing type creative on paid social. Um, and in general, um, I, my understanding is the idea is to drive consumption in feed so that people understand the differentiated value of your product and how it can serve them. The end business outcome that you're ultimately hoping for is that people are going to come to your site um, and engage when they're in market for a solution um, and that your product or service is top of mind. So his question, given the context of largely driving the in-feed consumption, I'm curious what you're generally using as a call to action with that approach to paid social and to what extent your approach from a creative and or call to action may vary based on uh, how well known your brand might be. Any more or are we good? That's it. Cool. Let's ask the question. Let's jump into it. So first I want to, I want people to understand the effect as to why. So anyone that's on here or listening to the zoom afterwards, think about how you consume content on LinkedIn. If there was a, if I had a video on LinkedIn that a lot of people watch and watch all the way through some watch 10 seconds or otherwise, or if I took the exact same video, I put it on YouTube and I created a link in my post, how many less people would actually watch the video? It's not even close. Uh, we should run that test just to have the data. I would bet it's, I bet it's at least a hundred times less. Um, and so 
That's the reason why when you put the content in the feed, people want to consume content in the feed. They don't want to leave. You want to reduce friction at all costs. It completely goes against what marketers have been trained from the Google era for the past 10 years that, oh, we need to get a click and then we need to get them on the landing page. And then we have to look at Google analytics. And then we have to look at our conversion rate of how many people fill out the form. It's like SEM squeeze landing page, like 2009. We need to get out of this mindset, especially when you're in social. And so the goal is to create content that's optimized for native consumption, create content that's native to the platform. If you're putting something in an Instagram story versus a LinkedIn text ad versus a LinkedIn feed ad, you're all going to need different strategy and different creative. The LinkedIn text ad is not going to have a lot of room. The LinkedIn feed ad, you have more flexibility and you want it to be consumed so you can consume it. And if it's just a picture, think it could pretty much a billboard. Right. I see some product led companies putting billboards up in, you know, South station in Boston, probably paying $10,000, $20,000 a month for that billboard. And pretty much nobody's commuting in there right now. Maybe it's remnant. So they're getting cheaper prices on it because nobody's commuting in there right now, but they're spending money on billboards. You could treat a LinkedIn ad just like a billboard. You're trying to get that impression. You're trying to get a message across. You're trying to make that impression count. If you go to a video, you're going to look for someone to consume the video. Maybe it's a customer story. Maybe it's you're taking the data from a from a case study and then repackaging that into a video story so that people will consume it there. You need to think more like a content creator than a lead gen marketer. Um, and so those are the insights when you put things in optimize for the feed, a couple other data points just to drill this home for people on LinkedIn ads. The average click through rate is about 0.4%. Which means that 99.6% of people aren't clicking. And so if you're, you're banking on the people getting to your landing page in order to see your content, you're missing out on almost everybody. So instead of doing that, you could take the content and you could put it in the feed where the impressions are guaranteed, where most people consume stuff, but they don't click as much. And so it's a complete shift. Again, the reason that marketers don't do this. You need attribution and you need to go back to report to the CFO for stuff, how measurement drives all the wrong behaviors right now in native, con native content consumption is the win in social. It's so much more effective. You just need to adjust your measurement model in order to support it. Um, and I think there was another like nuanced question there that I didn't get to Oh, the CTA. So, um, to, in my view, the CTA isn't that important in this. Typically, I use learn more because it feels the least salesy out of the options that LinkedIn has. Um, and so learn more. And then for the 0.4%, maybe if we're on a good day on LinkedIn, maybe it's 0.9% of people click on the ad and go to the landing page and see more of the case study. And then maybe one finds their way to the demo page and converts. Great. Um, but that's kind of a we use learn more, obviously, if you're doing like webinar, David and I conversation, like if that company's getting 5.2% conversion on webinars, we should figure out how to get more people to their webinars that are the same quality. Um, so yeah, Ashley had a, an amazing one liner here. So I have to repeat your quotable quote, the content is the call to action. The action is to learn as you consume it. Yeah, the, yeah, that's great. Ashley, you rock. <laughs> I'm gonna get that like on a poster or something back here. The yeah, um, LinkedIn post for tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, the CTA is to consume the content. I love that. 
Um, I We have a couple more questions that were submitted in advance, but I want us to get in the other agenda topic because yeah. I feel like this is going to be an interesting one on product-led growth. You ready to dive into that one? Yeah. Let's do it. Let's get into it. So first off, for all of the all the people that are um, that are out here being like, I've heard some people say Chris Walker's not a PLG marketer. I might as well not talk to him. But a lot, what I'm finding is that a lot of PLG companies actually need to figure out their enterprise motion. It's easy to take a million dollars a month and drive user acquisition email addresses in Google and Facebook and call it a day, and then try and push people through your product-led growth flow. That's easy. What's hard is getting enterprise accounts to sign up for enterprise plans and pay you enterprise prices. <laughs> and so um, what we're finding is that a lot of companies have this you know, user acquisition performance model figured out. You can get 500,000 users pretty easily. If you define users differently, it'd probably be way lower. You can do that and you can push people through and you can end up with a bunch of people that pay $10 a month and your customer acquisition cost is untenable. And then companies figure out, hey, we actually really need to figure out this enterprise motion. We need to figure out how to get accounts that are going to pay us a million dollars a year through this product-led motion. And that's where, that's where we come in. <laughs> and so that's happening quite a bit right now. Um, we play with a lot of companies that have this double funnel, the free trial, or the get started along with the get a demo, where they move it all into one funnel, free trial, and they try and segment it afterwards. And so we're getting a bunch of data on what's going on. And the thing that um, product-led companies that are trying to move into enterprise or whatever, move into it or do, do whatever, you're trying to go out and target enterprise. And what they do is really fascinating because it basically mirrors exactly what companies do with gated content in enterprise SaaS. And so what they do is they will take a bunch of enterprise, they'll target enterprise accounts. They'll try and get some level of user acquisition to a signup flow for a user, not a decision maker, a user. They'll get that person in and then they will try and basically shove someone down a product led funnel until they buy, which sounds very similar to, I'm going to go out on with a LinkedIn ad and give you some gated content. And then I'm going to try and shove you through marketing automation and cold calls until you buy something. It's literally the same thing. And so what I'm suggesting here is that companies that are running product led, trying to get to enterprise, like you could basically drop in and adopt our marketing model and get way better results in the enterprise. And it's just two different motions. Keep your product led user acquisition, performance marketing thing going. You could probably take a look at it and make it more efficient because most of them are terribly wasteful. Um, and then on the enterprise side, you could literally just adopt our model and have two things running and get way better results. Because what you want to have is instead of having someone sign up when they're not ready and then try and force them through a product-led flow for the sole reason because you can measure it. So you want to have them hit product usage statistics so that you can cold call a decision maker, you can cold call them. And so instead of doing that, if you just educated people in the places where they are, the decision makers the users, the company got everyone on board and then they came through and they signed up and they went all the way through the flow to a paying user straight away. It's the exact same thing that companies do with eBooks and the conversion rates are very poor. Um, the reason that they do it is because they're obsessed with the idea from like 2006 about this 
top of funnel, let's collect our top of funnel leads, and then let's run them through email automation and lead scoring and all these things. And then just because like after they get that mid funnel content, they're going to be so ready to buy our product that almost no people, no, no, almost no people make it through this funnel. Um, and the re- the solve is not by adding more people to the funnel. It's by changing who you're adding. So do you think the dual CTAs can, can work because the product led funnel will work for some smaller, like smaller users, smaller companies. And I know we've talked about some of the challenges of the dual CTAs, but essentially it's just two different playbooks and they should run them both side by side. The, the dual CTA is great. Once you're, once you've made the transition, the dual CTA is very dangerous for companies that are enterprise SaaS and trying to introduce a product led flow. Because then you go from getting 200 qualified demo requests a month that your sales team loves to talk to, that they win an 8%, that's driving a bunch of pipeline. And then you put another button on there that says, get started for free. And then the next month you get 10 demo requests. You still win them 8%, but you only get 10 instead of 200. And the other 190 went into your product-led flow. And then they don't talk to your sales team. And then they don't convert right away to a sales-qualified opportunity. And your qualified pipeline goes down and most companies can't weather that storm for three to six months to have it go and figure back out, so they retract back. It's way easier if you built product-led from the beginning, and then you broke the product-led, and then you add get a demo. But if you're an enterprise SaaS company, and you're always in a sales motion, and then you go down to product-led, most companies really struggle with that transition because it's basically a different go-to-market, and it's it really hurts in the short term, is my experience in terms of your sales team goes to basically having no pipeline coming from marketing for a long time, unless you want to go outbound to free trial signups, which is a bad look in my view. <laughs> it's not, not the goal of product led. Um, and so you, you delay pipeline, you stall pipeline and you have to figure out an entirely new go to market motion that you don't know about. And it can really hurt you from hitting your targets in the short term. So that's where the, the dual CTA gets messed up in that one instance. You're an enterprise SaaS company. You're trying to introduce product led. It changes your go-to-market motion and your sales pipeline. Got it. Makes sense. Uh, hot topic. We got a lot of questions in the chat on this. Love it. So keep it going. Troy, um, I like your question a lot. So you're coming on first. Welcome yeah, so we're currently in this transition of a lot of good product led growth and trying to transition more into this enterprise model. Uh, We have a marketing team that is split between um, trying to focus on two of these areas at the same time. So we have social content, product marketing, performance marketing, all kind of more focused on the self-serve and signups. And I'm wondering how we can get more of this team involved more into the demand gen function, focused on more of this enterprise buyer. How do you define enterprise? Everyone's different. Mm, Pretty much anyone that's in like a 500 employee bus user count. Okay. I mean, still kind of in the air and being defined. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Some companies define it based on what pricing model they're on. It has nothing to do with company firmographics, just how much they're paying them. Um, so it's good to know the definition. So let's just consider it for 500 employees and above for the rest of this. Yeah. Um, the rest of the situation. Um, how much do you spend on performance marketing right now? Um, going through a brand campaign. So it's a little bit uh unweighted in terms of this year okay let's say we're starting out with like 
10K a month. Oh, okay. I typically see 10 to 100X that. So, um, so 10, 10K a month. How do you have so many marketers that are just playing with 10K a month? Like I mean, a you- lot of recent hires. Okay, I mean, got it. Yeah, so like it's being ramped up very quickly. Understood, yeah. So um, so you, your product lead flow is pretty much organic so far. Like you got 10K a month, but it's pretty much an organic acquisition strategy. Before this year, yeah. Yeah. Okay, and so you're moving into the enterprise motion. You have some marketers that are focused. What I typically see is that um, they'll go into it and they'll, they'll run Google heavy. Google, you can't target based on account size, right? So you just like, Google performance marketing, like just audit that against revenue, not against signups and things like that. And you could figure out what you need. I find most product-led companies grossly overspend there. Like it's way worse than enterprise SaaS. Um, so like, t- like 500, 700,000, a million dollars a month that's not driving results, right? So that's... Um, and you can just let that, once you optimize that, just let it run, right? The thousand person company might search what you're looking for. The 10 person company might search what you're looking for. Get into the website. If you use the, the dual funnel of to request a demo free trial, just let the customer choose their own adventure, so to speak. Some people will fill out a demo. A lot of people, 90% is our data that will go to the free trial in most instances, but you'll be able to see that afterwards. If you use enrichment, you can see the company size and you can go from there. And what I would do is I would operate both of the different funnels and I would be looking at them only at 500 employee and above over time. So how many submissions are happening, how much pipeline is happening, how much close one is happening at 500 and above through either path. So that's like the first layer. Then you need to actually go out and you need to target those, those accounts and you need to create demand. And so that would be, um, you can target them paid initially. That's probably a good move while you build up the organic social strategy. So paid on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, you decide based on your buyer and through testing which ones are going to be most effective. It also depends on your ACV, lower ACVs. LinkedIn's kind of iffy from a cost standpoint. So you can kind of figure out how am I going to get this message across to enterprise buyers? Because in the organic and a lot of companies that are product led can grow to about $10 million in revenue through a pure product led motion where they just wait for people to find them in search, maybe convert them on an ebook, run them through marketing automation, and do that and then over time they realize wait like enterprise enterprise buyers aren't don't buy like this they don't go out and search for something and convert on a free trial and then do it they hear about it from friends they see read content they do all the things that we're saying which then gets them to talk internally and decide to use the tool and they come in and they'll decide whether they get a demo or do that so you need to go out there and figure out how to go out there with information and get them that's the missing piece in product-led companies because it's the free trial motion is so performance driven. It's so like acquisition, what's lower cost per lead, let's push them through this machine that when you actually move into the enterprise, you can't run, you can't run the model that way. And so, but it's hard for teams to switch their brain. It's hard to go from being a performance marketer to the next day doing the things that I'm talking about. Um, And so, the recommend, I think the, the good strategy is to have separate teams with separate goals. And so you have one that's focused on user acquisition to product led, and then you probably have a growth team or maybe the teams together that's trying to move from acquisition to paying user for just the general product led. And you have a separate team that's out there creating demand targeting enterprise accounts with content, media, et cetera, 
um, to go out and educate them. And that team is scored on enterprise pipeline growth. Oh, yeah, I've talked to a, a lot of different companies. I'd be interested to hear what you think. Like, what are you thinking for how you would do it? Uh, I think like with the way of like elevating beyond into kind of a more sophisticated buyer, there needs to be a lot more like guidance into how to use a product, how to develop into like a newer way of thinking, a newer way of activity. That is a lot of like the questions that we get are more of those like beginner sales calls mm -hmm. uh, and really trying to move towards like the education of what they need to do and then having that informative be into, okay, we understand what to do with the product now. So now let's look at rolling this out to an entire company. Mm -hmm. um, how do you, I, I'd be in, I'm just collecting market research at this point because I think it's super interesting. So um, how do people, how do, how does a 500 employee account get on to your enterprise plan and pay enterprise prices? Is it based on seats? Is it based, how's it, how does it decide? Yeah, it's largely based on seats. Yeah. Uh, so, so sometimes it can be within one department or it can be an entire company rollout. Just depends. Yeah. So like the Asana Slack type of model, um, yeah. number of users or different things. So you're trying to get like a couple of people in and then through growth loops or otherwise it spreads to a team. And then at some point you convert them otherwise. One thing that I've been pushing product led companies to consider is how to make the offer to the enterprise stronger to get them on an enterprise plan. Cause they can just keep moving at the whatever 10 seats think type of thing. Like how do you make it so that like that the offer is, is just thinking more, th being more thoughtful about the offer. I think most companies are like security is better or, um, you know, you have a better admin panel or things like, how do you, so those are, and then it's basically just scaling number of seats based on usage. So trying to figure out how to create a better incentive to get the, you know, the 500 person company that's using it in one team with eight people to upgrade to an enterprise plan that might just not scale with seats. I think it's an interesting kind of like thought experiment. I don't have the answer, but I, could be interesting to think about. Yeah, the product set um, definitely is not quite there yet, but we're looking to quickly build that as mm -hmm. well. Yeah. Um, but also like the pricing structure around the per seat is definitely a, a model that we've looked at as well. Mm -hmm. Cool. I got a good lineup to keep this topic going. Troy, good that to was see great. You, Troy. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Um, this is a combination of maybe some comments, assertions, and questions. Um, and uh, who better to kick us off than Nelson? Hope book sales are going well for you. No, after, after that DGL appearance, appearance last week, book sales are through the roof. Number one bestseller. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. You're a great marketing channel. But, uh, you know, I'm sort of curious. You know, what would you say to this mindset that's so persistent that you have to do bad marketing in the enterprise motion? Um, as if, you know, buyers somehow in bigger companies have different buying preferences and don't get as annoyed by bad marketing than those in mid-market or SMB. Um, and uh, so I was wondering where that mindset comes from, because I find that very pervasive as people as like who are falling back and retreating from improper lead gen SDR model. They're like, oh, well, in the enterprise, uh, you know, we need it there because somehow these big companies won't uh, be wooed by proper marketing. And I think you talked a little bit about all the different ways that a product-led growth company um, can woo enterprise with, with organic uh, content as well as paid social, maybe the in-app stuff um, or in-product stuff where there's certain features or there's certain, you know, 
things that let the, the users know like, hey, you want XYZ, you got to pay up, bud, um, and all sorts of other ways. Maybe there are other things that people that can help them understand um, all the different things you can do in the enterprise motion that are much better than annoying people with telemarketing and these, these like cold outreach sequences that go on for 18 steps or these like LinkedIn messages. So yeah, where does that mindset come from and what are some of the other additional proper marketing tactics look like? Thank you. Yeah. The mindset comes from the excuse not to change. Emphasized with the messaging that technology vendors push around need, what you need to sell to the enterprise. That's it. And so, as I've mentioned before, over the past two months, we've had some of the biggest companies in the world come inbound us with none of the stuff that other companies do. By, by executing marketing properly, by having a point of view, by putting it in the places where people like, by doing stuff like this consistently where we meet with a bunch of people that are most likely never gonna become our customer but I love hanging out with you and our people that we create content that people love. And so those are the ingredients to selling in the enterprise. Most companies can't do it. So since they can't do the things that actually work and the things that actually are aligned with how buyers want to buy, they fall back to the things that they've done before that are easy and easy to execute and easy to measure and perform less than mediocre. Um, and that's where you get the, the seller-centric, cold outbound sequences, sitting there waiting on intent data to cold call people, um, pushing content to enterprise accounts, calling them an AQL, running them through um, marketing automation, cold calling them straight away, things that pe nobody on this call or anyone that's listening to the podcast, nobody wants as a B2B buyer, but companies do it to all of their customers. Um, and it's just... <laughs> it's just the mindset that needs to change. And I, I'm, I'm trying here, but those are, those are some of the things that I see. And then maybe if you can also uh, touch upon some of the ad other additional proper marketing tactics going into the enterprise, maybe specifically in the context of a PLG company um, that kind of show what good looks like, that'd be great. I think having a point of view and then communi communicating that point of view and making sure that you are targeting the people that align with that point of view through customer research before you do it. So customer research, understand deeply, have, create a point of view, start executing that, refine the point of view, continue to evolve, make sure that you're helping people along the way. Like those are some of the ingredients like if you like Slack, let's just go with Slack. It's a big enterprise company. There's plenty of examples that I could use, but let's just do that. The things that they should be doing is having a core narrative about how business communication is changing. They're probably doing it. I just don't think that they're distributing the content or that message that well right now. Um, but that's what they should be doing. Business communication is changing. It's moving away from this bursty communication or whatever they're saying drives better results, whatever they're going to do. And they need to get that, that message out in the market, but they're not. Um, and so that's what a, any product-led company should have a point of view on how their product is changing work or changing, there's a movement happening around something that people want to be a part of, and then align that story to enterprise accounts if it does. Like our story aligns to any company, right? You can build this the right way. When you have six employees, you can go and try and change your marketing model. When you have 50,000 employees, it plays across the whole thing. And so 
oddly enough, like in a, in a lot of cases, I feel that you don't need to segment between enterprise and SMB. It just makes more of an impact in enterprise for these companies because they can do performance marketing in the SMB and be inefficient and connect, collect enough people. And it just doesn't seem to be very effective up there. And so that's when it comes down to, we can get into tactics, post content here, do it at this time, things like that. But generally it's have a point of view and help people and then get it, get it to them in places where they consume it. And this also may help people who are listening. Um, Cause I got some market feedback from, from this as, as a change in mindset, going back to mindset. Um, there's this tendency to think that um, the only way that like all like that, uh, I think it goes back to the inbound outbound false dichotomy. Um, and I've, I found it's really helpful to explain that all marketing is outbound. It just depends whether or not it's buyer friendly. Um, and that uh, their idea is, well, I don't want to be lazy and just wait for things to come in. So let's go and like with my, my spear and try to spear a buyer um, with like a telemarketing call or something like that. And so they think that's, you know, they have got, they're still operating the like HubSpot inbound outbound thing. So I think yeah. trying to help with that mindset and realize there's a lot of things that marketing can do, um, you know, to, to bring, bring everyone in the door and it's all outbound. Um, it's just the type of marketing that you're doing is, is helpful. I think. Yeah, people need to be really careful looking at HubSpot's playbook from 2009 being like, outbound marketing's over. You can't run any ads. Just build blogs and just wait. It worked in 2009. <laughs> it's a long time from now. And at that point, there was no channels to target. There was no B2B data. The world is different. I can get to exactly who I want across tons of different channels. And so that narrative is outdated. Thanks, Good to see you, Thanks, Nelson. Nelson. Wayne, I'm excited to have you join us and share some thoughts. Welcome Thanks, Megan. Yeah. Hey, Chris. Hey, guys. Hey, Nelson. We had a good chat on LinkedIn today, dude. That was awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, so I love this PLG enterprise discussion. This is just fire because actually most of what I see on LinkedIn is actually PLGs focused and uh you know there is a differentiation in some cases but not in others i mean and some of the things that i'd argue are you know i come at this from a sales bit of a marketing background but mainly a sales background like in in product-led growth orgs sales are really expecting tap-ins the deal is pretty much done by the time it gets to them i mean it's pretty much there and if it's not if it's not gonna if it's not a tap-in you know sales guys are kind of upset um, in the enterprise, when marketing is working really well, marketing has achieved trusted advisor status for the salesperson. So when they get the opportunity, they have got this warm lead that is ready to be consulted, not sold to. Uh, and it's not that common but when it works it works really nicely um and i have um my personal experience of this is in my own business so i run a boutique consultancy where i consult with early stage startups they're trying to do just this evolve from product-led growth up market mm -hmm. they want to increase acv into the enterprise all my contracts are six-figure contracts and I have done zero outbound. Everything has been inbound. 
every single piece of it has been in fact i've been i have a wait list and i've been turning people away. that's another business problem that chrissy might be able to help me with as on the side on the side but um but it's because i have been delivering a message to vps and ceos in social uh exclusively in social i have a newsletter but it's really exclusively in social and when they come to me they're coming to me as if they know me i have never met them in my life they have no idea who i am never worked with them never met them might have some secondary secondary connections so that to me is a clear example of how if you operate where your buyers operate and you operate on a basis of uh a, you have an opinion, and B, you're prepared to educate and play the long game. When the buyer is ready, even in the enterprise, they're going to come to you ready to figure out what it is they want to buy from you, not to be sold to. Mm -hmm. It's um, where was I going to go with this? It's weird to think about, um, but I'm going to go back to sort of like my the funnel analogy, where people try and put a user in that doesn't that just performance marketing doesn't have a huge intent, doesn't have a huge problem to solve, put them into the funnel, get them into sign up, mark that as your sign up in PLG and try and push it through, right? And just do that thousands of times over and over <laughs> is what people do. And instead of that, why wouldn't you just want to have to do marketing in a place to have the team say, you know, for thousand person company, they're all on monday.com and for, there's this one thing that monday.com doesn't do, but Asana has been advertising to me all over and they have this feature and we need it now. And the, they make a business decision that they're going to convert their company over from monday.com to Asana. That's how you win in the enterprise. Um, but uh, they try and get one by one, one user just like this, the viral growth loop that everyone talks about where Calendly and then you send the Calendly and then everyone figures it out. Those things are very rare. Um, and so I think that people should just rethink. I would much rather have a enterprise buyer come to me and be like, look, we've already decided we're going to use you for our team or we're going to use this for our company um, versus trying to get one user and then grow. Obviously, you can have a top down, bottom up, but like the top that you already are doing a bottom up motion, right? A lot of companies already spend a million dollars a month running a bottom up motion. Why are you going to do that for the enterprise too? So you like go go, go have a top down motion in the enterprise and then keep running your bottoms up on Google and et cetera. Yeah. I just don't I don't think the majority of leaders today, you'll know this better than I do, but I just don't think the majority of leaders today believe it. I just don't think they believe it works. No, no, no. They don't. <laughs> yeah. It's uh it's a combination of not being in the details enough to see the things like look. I, I don't fault anyone for not understanding these things. I've been doing this a lot for the past five years, trying to basically show these things that buyers have been telling me that I know are true, that are very difficult to prove. And I'm creating data to help people understand that it's real and it's happening. So I don't fault people for not knowing these things because they're not anywhere near in the details that I am in order to figure these things out. And I don't have it all figured out yet. Um, and so not being in the details enough, but the next one is that they listen to certain sources of information that are telling them otherwise. Mm. And that's the big one for me. I think that most people get their information from vendors and analyst firms about what they should do in their marketing strategy, which is why they overadopt technology, why they obsess about attribution, why they focus on vanity metrics, etc. If they change their sources of information, 
and where they got it, I think that over time you'd see major shifts in how they look at the world and how they look about sales and marketing. They also they also bullshit their VCs to get their latest round of funding, so they have to. Uh, you got to play the game. Got to play the game. Yeah. Hmm. Cool. Thanks, Wayne. Thanks, Wayne. Great Good segment. to see you. Appreciate your sharing your thoughts. All right, I got one more PLG question from our good friend Arthur. We might need oh, to make a, a like a um, a like a PLG segment in Demand Gen Live. Now we're getting some good response from the audience on this. Eight, p- know, 8 p.m. rolls around on Tuesday. Ding ding ding! It's the PLG. Okay. Anyway, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Megan. Chris, uh, great to see you again. What's up, Arthur? It was good to see you in uh-huh. San Diego. Yeah, it was amazing meeting you there. He's better looking in person, by the way, everybody. Uh, <laughs> uh, my question, Chris, is around, um, is there a point where you would give up on product-led growth? We talk a lot about high-intent channels converting over 20%. I know this is pretty new, but is there something where you say, hey, PLG just doesn't work for us? We do need more of a, a sales-led motion, or is it more on the company to figure out how do we get this tool and make it easier to use for that user? I think that the the product needs to be built in a certain way to facilitate touchless onboarding in order for PLG to really work. And so if the product requires a lot of customization, um, a lot of like data structure and integration, right, where you have to like customize it a lot, where you could use someone that helps you, there are a lot of cases where PLG is just not a right fit for a company right now, right? If they can, if that was part of their strategic priorities, they could get to a place where they're getting people in through the product that way. Um, and so I don't think that there's any reason to completely not do it, but you have to assess the situation and say, like, is it serving us to have people come into our product, not understand how to get through the features and then get frustrated after three minutes and leave? Is that a better thing than having them come through a demo so they can see the product and we can sell them? It might be a little bit more expensive in the short term. It might be a little bit more difficult in the short term. But right now we have qualified users that are coming into the product and are being frustrated and leaving and then we're not able to recover them afterwards. So um, if the product isn't built to convert and you don't have a predictable flow, then it can, it can from user acquisition to paying user through that, um, it, can be, uh, re- it can be a real struggle. Yeah, I think that's the the not the knock that we're seeing here is like, are we confusing our buyers and leading them down a PLG growth uh, growth path, and then them not realizing the value of the product? So, mm-hmm. yeah, we kind of made the decision to maybe step away from that until we get to more of a touchless onboarding experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess a follow up question is like, product led growth for teams where you need maybe a little bit more of a department and more of that team to go on board. Does that change anything in terms of the, I guess, the way you would go to market or how, how would you get more of the team to get on your free or free trial? Mm-hmm. I think it depends if the, if it's seat based or if it's not right. So if it's like project management software where everyone's in there and you can get one person and then the, that person can go and get the other seven, that's one way. But there's some things where there's the whole team needs it, but there's really just one user. And so I think it depends on that component too. Um, Cause if it's the team needs it, but there's one user, perhaps there's actually a, perhaps a debt, like a demo traditional sales flow is actually a better way. Um, so there are some, there are some nuances, um, but I don't think there's a clear cut answer to that one. No, 
No, appreciate it. It was uh, good to hear your thoughts on that. Cool. Thanks, Thanks Arthur. Arthur. Good to see you. We are we are tapped out of yeah. questions. Lovely. Um, um, closing thoughts. Um, I feel like uh, we went a lot of different directions with PLG, so I don't know if there are like some key takeaways there and other closing thoughts. I dropped the link to the Dave event this Thursday. It's going to be a good one, so I want people to sign up. Yeah, we're going through some 2022 planning. Um, so on the PLG side, we're going to start like we have a, actually quite a few customers now that are running this motion enterprise with PLG. And I think the missing piece of what companies are not getting um, from an information source for those companies right now is how to execute the enterprise side. They're getting all the information on how to execute performance marketing, PLG. Let's get people into the products. Let's try and push them through. Let's do our growth. Let's make sure that we have our growth loops, all that stuff. Not a lot of education on as you move into the enterprise, how you do that as well. So there's a spot there that I think that we're going to claim. And I think that we're very, very well equipped to do it. So we'll be introducing more topics and more ideas in the product-led segment in future episodes, um, which I'm excited about. Additionally to that, we do have that event with Dave, and I think there's a couple other events coming up, um, which I'm super excited about. So if you can make those, that would be great. And then we have a couple of special announcements that are coming toward the end of this month. I think that um, I'm just kind of tease it right now. I know I'm feeling like I want to tell you, but I'm not going to. Um, but we have some special announcements coming in the evolution of Refine Labs and what we're what we're coming out from a. Uh, product standpoint for people to to get accustomed to so i think there's we'll be let me just leave it we'll be coming out with something we'll be launching it by the end of this month so you can hear more about it we'll we'll announce on the podcast and looking forward to sharing it with you and with all that said it's been a great tuesday looking forward to seeing you next week and talk to you soon it is not plg (laughs) it might be actually It it might be actually yeah good point good point it might be all right With that, everyone, everyone. see you later, everyone. Bye. (laughs) Hey, everyone. Thanks for checking out this episode of the State of Demand Gen podcast. You know, it's crazy to think that now more than 15,000 demand marketers, sales reps, product marketers, field marketers, CMOs, and everything in between are listening to this podcast and getting a ton of value out of it. And so if you've been listening to the podcast and you've been getting value out of it, I would really, really, really appreciate if you could leave a rating in the podcast section. It would mean a lot to me. Thank you and see you for the next episode.